welcome to another podcast. This is a, a very special one. We are in Tucson, Arizona, and I'm with uh, the crew here, Joe Fernandez, Kevin Brown, and the Rose of Jason. The Jason of the Rose. The Jason of the Rose. We are detailing Freedom One, a la Joe Fernandez was nice enough to, nice enough to invite us out here. So today's topics are going to be about this particular plane, which has been pretty spectacular, and uh we're going to be talking about a bunch of buffing pads. What's the difference between um, you know, everything from a wool pad to a foam pad, et cetera, et cetera. We'll go through all that and, and how, it's, uh, how it's working. So anyways, how are you guys doing? Everybody good? Having fun? Are Tired. You, uh, yeah, we're all exhausted. It's 10 o'clock at I night. Feel great still. Well, there's more airplane to polish if you're game. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> Let's wrap this bad boy up. And yeah. Grab some buffers. You look pretty motivated. Oh, no, you can go. <laughs> I never claimed I was. Our backup crew. This is day yeah. two. Day two. How many hours? How many man hours? Let's do some math. Let's there's really man hour man right there. What's yeah, man hours? Have you added up yet? No. We have 15 guys? There's a good 15 to 16 hands on. The, other, the rest of you guys are just kind of a support like, and. And Joe. Taking point, two, point two of a person. Yeah. So 16, we, we put, like, what, five hours in the first day? Well, five light hours, you know, not hardcore hours. Mm-hmm. You know, showing people stuff like, this is a rotary polisher. You know, I know it wasn't, no, that, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad, but, you know, we're still, a lot of these guys have never even, you know, touched the outside of an airplane, let alone we had that. One. We had an OSHA. Well, it still was a full day because of the OSHA training. Well, you're right. So. Well, I mean, it's not man hours in in the project, yeah, but yeah. it was still a full day because we had to take the safety class first, which was incredible. The guy said, make time for a three-hour safety course in the morning, and after that, you guys can get on the airplane. So most of us were thinking, what the heck are we going to talk about for three <laughs> hours? Because you put on a harness, and you hook yourself up, and you're good. And come to find out, there's a lot of information yeah. on how to do that right and not do it right. And you're kind of just like right on the fine line of dying when, if you don't do one small detail yeah. correctly. And there's really dying and then eyes. there's that picture when I walked in. Yeah. I was, was in for in the room for 10 minutes. And I was a little late. But. Now, what he's talking about, there was a scrotumless man there. So, and they showed pictures. Not, not in the building. On the, on the oh, screen. yeah, not in the building. <laughs> it's pictures. And what happened is he installed his harness improperly. Incorrectly, yeah. Incorrectly. So you think, well, I got my harness on. I'm, I'm, I'm being safe. He didn't do it right. So when he fell, everything caught him. The harness cinched up. And it pinched him in such a way that it ripped his scrotum but it wasn't, off. It wasn't a rapid process. As they said, no, they kind of pinched and just tore it. So and that was like what are they what do they call the four point harness the ones that go over left shoulder right shoulder and the ones that wrap around each upper thigh. So when the upper thigh part of that when it's not adjusted correctly when it's not tightened yeah. down right yeah and, yeah, and then you fall it it's like a noose around your testicles. That's right. Right. Yeah, we, because you don't even understand the forces involved unless you're a mathematician. But um, it's exponential, they, tremendous. That amount. was kind yeah. of sobering to see that. I right mean, before we get I know how to collapse a building now by myself. <laughs> now, now you know what? <laughs> yeah, or you can collapse a building by yourself. Now a lot of guys were like, "Yeah, whatever." And then she showed that picture. The instructor showed the picture. It was like, and we it's like got silent all, in the room. Like, hey, <laughs> and what's funny is like we, we, just before we got on the airplane, when we put on a harness, like, yeah, there's my hook. Yeah, okay, my arm goes here. You make sure you got that real good around my crotch. Or, you know, like, you know, <laughs> all of us, we, you know, and we're checking for each other. Like, let me see you got your buckle there because you know, I'm going to take care of you. No, it was, that's totally true. Yeah, and then these simple things. There's a piece that goes on your chest, and if it's up a little bit too high and you fall, it, you, you'll choke. Uh, but it's, and we're using crazy words in the first time ever in the pot, but it literally above your nipples. Well, that's what she said. 
I mean, she, she the instructor was excellent, by the way. Absolutely, oh, I thought she knew oh, her she stuff. Yeah, she yeah. knew her stuff, and then why why dance around words and not be embarrassed? She mm -hmm. goes at nipple level. Have that thing nipple level or below? It's below. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and if you have it higher, what she was trying to explain is when you fall, the harness will cinch up tighter than you can cinch it yourself if you're pulling on straps and trying to make it tight. Mm. So your body weight will cinch it up once it pulls against the strap above you, and if that. That piece of the strap that's on your chest is too high. It'll cinch you up around your neck. Well, it's adjustment in the back as well as the front. That's right. So you have to have everything just right just to right. survive. That's right. And everything else that's not right is is critical. But um, but, but think you, you think I can just put on. I always thought I could just put on a harness. If you put it on, put the buckles on. And once you put it, it on, up, you're safe. You're that's safe. It's your mind thing. No. Nope. As a matter of fact. I think I'd rather just fall and splat on the ground than just hang there and slowly suffocate <laughs> and have your balls ripped off. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, Joe. you know, I mean, wouldn't you? I think I think everybody just adjusted their body. They're like, what? 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 Is this a detailing podcast? <laughs> so let, let me back this up a little bit. This pl we're doing a, a plane, Freedom One. It, what, it, what is it? It's not a seven twenty seven. It's seven oh seven. Seven oh seven. Well, it's yeah. ridiculously big. It has a military designation. Right? It's VC. You know, Victor Charlie one three seven. You know, that's all the geeks out there. And it's uh, it's the equivalent of a, of a civilian 707. So the point of what I'm saying is it's super duper high. Three stories, two stories? Yeah, it's an airliner. It's very, like very airliner. high. So if you're yeah. on top of this airliner and you fall off, that's why we had to go through all this training. And and, and the harness was more of a, what was it, like a construction worker? Like how do you, how do I visualize, how do I say this over the, the with, with these harnesses, um, they use them in a bunch of industries, in the oil, oil rigs mm -hmm. and construction. Yeah. And you know anything where where you're up high, mm -hmm. and you need you need the like the window protection. washer guys, all that, yeah, yeah, window washer guys. So we had to wear that to do to do the plane. And what's over the airplane, even towers higher than the actual aircraft, are are they called booms? These big metal structures, mm -hmm. and we we tie on or we tether on up those things that are above us. Mm -hmm. And they're uh, on the, they're on like rails, so you can kind of like they're on rails, so you can walk around and polish and clean. And but if you fall. It, the, there is like a seatbelt in a car. You know, you put on your seatbelt, and if you lean forward, the seatbelt gives. But if you lean forward very quickly, your seatbelt locks. This thing, These things are very similar. And it locks like in two or three inches, it locks. Yeah. So if you're walking nice and easy, you, you could walk too quickly, and it'll lock. That's how sensitive it is. So when you're walking and working, just kind of have a nice medium it really pace. is a well-designed safety feature because you, if you do slip and fall, you're not going to go more than a foot. You know, I think you know? I think it's, it's like recoverable. Even you can like slip, it'll catch you, and you can just get back up. Yeah. And me being the team leader, I want people to go back to work. Never mind the scare. <laughs> you just no. But I think she said what I, I mean. I caught most of it, but I think she said the biggest issue that happens when work-related things is stuff falling down on people. Is that was that was that what she's saying? Because I thought it was genius that we were putting cones around because I was working underneath and I just constantly would. I didn't. You can't see three stories up. What, what the guy's doing on yeah. the wing? Now, yeah. now twice, twice on this project, we've had a bottle of liquid come off the top, and it's it it, it disintegrates when it hits the ground. We had a, a spray bottle, and we had one bottle of um, two hundred five, and it disintegrates when it hits the ground. It goes splat, and that's just a bottle of something. Well, and then she even told us how fast you go depending on the height. Yeah. So when you fall ten feet, by the time you hit the ground, you're going like thirty miles an hour. But then when you fall. 30, 30 feet. You, it, you were like you, you were like you five or six times more. You accelerate faster. on your way down. Yeah. yeah. So we this is this is the pep talk before we go. Yeah. Yeah, Every time I talk. stepped on a ladder, yeah. I thought, okay, ninety percent of all ladder accidents are when you go down. When you go down the ladder, yeah. yeah. Right. So she goes, she goes, she goes. You'll be going like hundred miles an hour if you drop fifty feet, 
right? Yeah. Yeah, you're going to die coming down the ladder, and you may get your balls ripped off. So I went, have fun, guys, you know? <laughs> That's kind of exactly That's the way that That's why we saw Joe out. on the ground all day. That way, way. You see how big I am? I don't bounce well. harness. No yeah, less. I don't bounce well. Yeah. yeah, I was on the ground with a harness on. Yeah. You know? I went up the ladder with him. To do that one bit on top of it was the shaking, plane. it was bouncing. It was shake. That was me shaking. That was me shaking. <laughs> like, that's right. That's right. Very exciting. All right. So, so the listeners are going. Did did well? Did you guys detail a plane or what? Today, so. We talked about nipples and <laughs> we, yeah, testicles yeah, right yeah, now. Right. Well, the thing is, a plane is huge and safety first. Yeah. No. You know? That's true. So, I mean. That's a that's a big deal, especially we're at the uh, Pima Air and Space Museum. So that is. Uh, you know, a public place where you can come and, and check out. What did he say? Phenomenal. Three hundred eighty planes yeah, or something. Over yeah, planes. eighty yeah. acres or something. It's the second or third largest aircraft museum in the United States. I mean, like basically everything that you had on your wall as a kid, etc. Yeah, when I was a kid, we used to build models, and and there's aircraft here I've only seen as a model or on the History Channel. You know, yeah, and, and then you come here, one and you of go, the most <gasps> diverse oh, collection. It's, yeah. it's not like we have ten of these and fifteen of those. It's one-off it's, it's crazy very unique it's crazy. international types of craft yeah you had big airliners to little like tiny helicopters and mm. you know whatever inside so it was pretty cool anyways the point of you know we're hammering at home we had to do all this training to make sure that you know we were in line with all the osha regulations and and nobody got in trouble nancy. and and nancy yes <laughs> she was she was no joke um so yeah so let's talk about a little bit about the plane itself and the material then we'll go into the history of it um, and then we'll talk about some pads, but you would say from a scale of one to ten, I guess, how bad was this plane? You know, one? well, it was badly oxidized. It's borderline to being unsalvageable, as a matter of fact. Well, some of it underneath was starting to peel off. No, <clears throat> no. Oh well, yeah, that's part, different. That's, that's not what they do. They mothball these airplanes, and part of the process is draining the fuel, replacing the fuel with and some sort of oil, and then draining the oil. So what that does is coat the inside of the tank with a preservative oil. And oil is slippery, and it works its way through seams and rivets. And that oil worked its way, worked its way, worked its way, yeah, through the rivets and stuff un to under the wing, and the oil made the paint come off. Right. Uh -huh. it yeah. Soaked it. And soaked it, it in and, and made it come off. Act acted like a paint remover. Yeah. And a few small places underneath. So... But our attention was the paint that was damaged by the sun and by the air and by the UVs. And now, this particular one, if you haven't seen it, is all over my Instagram and everybody's Facebook page who was there. And it's in the traditional uh, presidential colors. Now, what stripe. was funny is when, when I contacted Scott, who's the manager of operations here. Yeah. He says, he goes, that's real kind of you guys to want to come out here and do that. But we're gonna have it painted soon. We're just, you know, we're gonna make plans to paint it. I said, well, you don't have to. I don't think we can go out there. And he says, no, it's just way too far gone. You can't polish it. I said, well, uh, I've looked at tons of pictures and did research, and I think we can. He said, no, you can't. You know, but thank you anyway. But I said, can I at least go out there and try? He was kind of like, all right, if you want to, you know. So and that's when you guys came out in October. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. we came out early yeah. October, and looking at this thing, and we're like, wow, it's chalky. And we were a little bit concerned, but a little bit happy. Because if it was already nice, we wouldn't be as, as interested in it. Of course. The before and after is huge. It's huge. So we went up there. We did a test spot. And it just came out. Came out beautiful. The guy, the guy Scott, he watched us do it. 
And when we turned around and looked at him, he's had a big old grin on it, and he's like, when can you do it? You know? Yeah. That was so, huge. Yeah, it was, and it, it lasted. Like, you, were, you were saying, I, I had you on camera talking to me, Jason, the, uh, that it lasted for X amount of months, which well, was a big deal. Yeah. So Joe and I did that in October, you know, several months It was ago. early October. Yeah. So all right, we got four and a half months yeah. out of it. Yeah. And it looked like we did it yesterday. Right. It was, it, it you know, looked really now nice. that was one of my fears. I almost couldn't sleep the night before because what if, so picture this, the whole plane is chalky and I did a test spot. And what if we show up today or showed up when we came and I can't find the test spot? I'm like, like blended <laughs> back in. I'm like, oh, it doesn't, doesn't hold up, you know? Yeah. But I was, I was, I was pleasantly surprised. I know it was just holding up really good, mm -hmm. really well. That's Which cool. means that the work we doing this week is going to last. Yeah. Yeah. And did you guys put any protection on that little spot, or did you did leave? We it did. Off? We did a spray polymer there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. All right. So, what was the uh, the overall process? You know, this is the part of the video. If you guys want to see the whole thing, but step one is obviously you want to call it degreasing it or basically cleaning it. Well, it depends what part of the airplane we are. Every area gets cleaned first. The tops, the top surfaces are highly oxidized. The side surfaces are moderately oxidized would that be yeah. right yeah um so on the tops we're actually using a kind of a diluted mixture of a degreaser to, to clean and that what that does is kind of soften up the oxidation and we mop it off you know we, we kind of we're standing on the wing and we mop it off mm -hmm. um the rest of the airplane that kind using, of chews up the chalk first. chews up the chalk loosens it up and we can mop it off you can rinse off the mop and go back up there and take it we're kind of doing it like you would are like a floor in a way. I mean, we're treating paint, but we're standing up and using a mop because we're standing on the on the panel we're cleaning. The sides, we're using a no-rinse wash to clean. And uh, once all that's clean, then we use a polish on it. And we polish it out. And it's all Meguiar's products, so people are probably going nuts. What, what, what? What are the what? Which products? Well, we'll get to that. So be patient. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then once that once the surface is polished, clean and polished, and then we put on the polymer protection, and that's it. So it's really actually pretty simple. Yeah, it wasn't very really Well, it's big and, and it's kind of complex. Well, it's basically it's round. You're you're polishing a basketball, so to speak. That's really long. So, so yeah, the, no one of the biggest part. aspects of this is just getting to the area you're going to work. And there's wings, and there's curves, and then there's antennas, and, and there's really height, high. yeah. And there's yeah. and there's other guys working on it's wind. scissor lift. There was a lot of wind up there. There's wind. There's a lot of sun. So it's uh, you know, it's fun, <laughs> but it's a challenge. And that I think that's that's kind of the reason why we're here. No, I totally agree about that. And the the blue came out fantastic. So Kevin, speak a little bit about after we've degreased the plane, we've cleaned it, we've done all the steps that he's talked about. So there's no contaminants it's the same thing as a as a car and, and yeah you really want to break it down we, if it's completely dirty you're not going to polish it the exact same way we use yeah so tell me you know what you went through and you know what worked and what didn't well and then... jason and joe had already done a test spot and what they found is what i also found and several other guys is that the finishing polish would polish longer period of time it's extended period of time it was a wetter buffing fluid than a heavy cut compound. So normally, like people listening would say, okay, so if take whatever compound when you're when you're compounding with it, it doesn't last as long. Like typically, it, you know, won't go forever. Well, yeah, because a... the compounds have abrasives and they attach to your foam pad, or they'll attach to paint, or they'll cut paint away, and then they get 
buried in the paint residue. We've talked about that before. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. just on a much more massive scale in terms of total square feet we have yeah, to do. The real estate was and out of the depth of the the oxidation. Yeah. So we just needed more fluidity to keep things rolling around and slipping around. And the ultra finishing polish from Meguiar's, uh, it's a it's a very fine polish. It, it did the job very well. Much better than let's say a compound would because of that issue, which is a little bit counterintuitive. You think it's really really bad. So I need to go with something really, really heavy. But in yeah. this case, it kind of worked the opposite way because of how bad it was. Yeah, I mean, you wouldn't use lava soap every time you took a shower, or you know, and, and scrubbed violently because it's a better cleaner. Mm -hmm. Now, if that's what it takes, that's what it takes. Well, leave me alone. It's the same kind of idea. You can go extremely abrasive and abrade things away, or you can work at a slower rate of. Rate of grinding away or abrading away, yeah. and get the same net result. And that's, it's faster for us than have to reapply all the time or clean all the time. That's the other thing that's so important is with the ultra finishing polish, we were able to not have to clean the pad. It kind of self cleans. It, it stays so fluid. Some of it's left on the paint as you move along, and the pad doesn't completely compact and and get filled with abrasive grains that cause it to not work anymore. So. I, I think people listening at home, if they if they get that out of this podcast, I'll call it a big win. So explain it again in terms of with that much fluid in the polish along with the pad that we can call it centripetal force or what, I don't know what you want to call it, that kind of throws the debris, a.k.a. residue, off much faster or more quantity well, I think, than, let's say... If a, I can interject here, it's more... I mean, not to complicate it too much, but it's more involved than just the polish. There, you know, it, it's the interaction and the synergy between that formula of a polish and the the foam pads that we're working with. Because mm -hmm. you need to have um, the foam pad that you're working with on these DA processes. You need to have the ability to allow for fluids to move around. You know, to to remain transporting through cells and around the surface. So if you have kind of a heavy cut pad or, so, you know, some kind of a pad that um, will basically slam on the brakes in terms of movement, you know, you remove this oxidation off the surface and then it kind of sticks to your pad, sticks to the surface, Everything's, everything basically slams on the brakes. So in theory, if you used the polish and used a different pad that yeah. didn't wasn't that conducive to or or a type of foam that actually is designed to allow for things to be moving around in the foams so now m205 ultra finishing polish worked i think it worked out great on this particular aircraft um, because it happened to you know remove oxidation you know at at a rate that we were ex you know happy with but we were also dealing with um things like temperature and humidity right Oh, so, so well, like from the morning to the night, the temperature difference? and lack of humidity. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. temperature and low humidity. Because so. two hundred five is performing like it did in that light, constant wind, very dry air, and full sun yeah. all day. Yeah. So you know it wasn't hundred degrees, but yeah. I mean this morning it. I mean, was it forty degrees or was yes, I just it just being it crazy? It was high forties. It was high forties, and then the afternoon was eighty two, eighty three, yeah, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, low eighties. That's a that's a massive shift, right? Well, that's a desert. It was a good 50, 60 degrees sometimes between high noon and midnight. I mean, I, when I went this morning, I was like, oh, I'm in Arizona and New York is 
you know, 17 degrees and snowing. I was like, I'm going to wear a t-shirt and whatever. And I got there. I'm like, geez, what the heck is going on here? Might as well go home. Right. What's cool about this project though, um, is, is that we were on single stage, you know, paint. So when you're removing this oxidation, you can actually see it happening. Mm-hmm. You know, you can see everything going on. So it was dramatic. Yeah. It's very dramatic. And then yeah. we put a, um, we put a tape line down one of the panels near the front, right under the cockpit, and polished up to it, and it took off the tape line. And it's a very dramatic 50-50 shot, you know, before and after. Yeah. It was very cool. Yeah. I wanted to say, just as a, to explain the dynamics back on the pads or the, using the, the polish versus the compound and, you know, yeah. backing the abrasive down, it, it would be similar to if you were cleaning your kitchen sink and you had barely any water on your sponge or in in the uh-huh. mix and you were using just loads of whatever typical yes. you were using. How much work do you get done before it completely packs up? Yeah. Yeah, that's the door. Come on, it's open. It's not open. Can you get that door? Yeah. <laughs> Yay, podcast live. That's it. It's, it's Ryan. Okay. Yeah, so I think uh, that's... What? Memory card. Oh, memory card. This is called a rolling podcast. When it gets after 10 o'clock, no editing takes place. All right, so finish your thought here. I thought I did. <laughs> yeah, finish yours. Yeah. Or come up with a new one. I come up with a new one. <laughs> right. All right, so the world's largest 50-50. I was pretty excited about that. That had to have been 15 feet long. It was a world's largest 50-50 and direct full sun shot. Yeah, with no swirls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The black turned out incredible. The, the black turned out. It looks incredible. like they just shot it. And and the director here, he said, um, he said the last time that was painted because they keep them fresh. Well, the government, well, somebody keeps it fresh. They never, they never have repainted it. He said the government, he suspects, repainted that aircraft in late '80s or early '90s. So at best, it's a 22 to 25 year old paint job that's been sitting out in the desert. Not too bad. Not well. Aircraft paint is different than automotive paint. Harder, and single stage. But you're right. It's not too bad. What were we talking about inside the plane? Yeah. We'll talk about the inside and the whole history in a minute. But was it, you and I were talking about the plastic uh, windows? <laughs> yeah, I looked at I looked through the windows and I said, Larry, look at these windows. They're how old? They were made in 1958. And they're totally clear. Why can't we make headlights like that? <laughs> I mean, they did it back in 58, and this has been sitting in the desert, and how old is this plane? And they're crystal clear. Mm. Yeah. Who's breathing? Is there anyone breathing here? No, not me. Is that you, Jason? No. I'm hearing somebody breathing. I think it's like stalking well, me right it, now. When I'm sitting this close to you, it's hard not to do. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I brought my phone up here. And then everything went all haywire. I want to read a little bit about what this plane is. Uh, the plane is, in 1959, this was uh, a Boeing aircraft uh, made in Seattle, a 707-153. So this was made in 1959. Now we'll fast forward a little bit here. Uh, in 1966, it was the 89th Military Aircraft Special Missions Wing, MAC, Andrews Air Force Base. Now, and fast forward to 1977, it was the Carter administration downgraded to a VC-137B role and had the power, had the power blue removed, leaving an all-white scheme. So uh, 
you know, this plane has been around since 1959. And when the director, I was interviewing him today, he said that the paint scheme for all the presidential planes, you know, the blue with the with the gold stripe in the middle and the white thing on top. Is, don't they call it the Kennedy theme? The Kennedy Isn't theme. Yeah, but you know what Kennedy? You know what Kennedy uh, was? Which Kennedy? Yes. This is a trick question. I, know. I do. I know. I know, too. Oh, we're going to put Jason Rose on the spot. Well, I was going to say JFK, but based on the <laughs> way you asked that, I'm like, it's no, probably afraid. not JFK. He's afraid. <laughs> uh, Jacqueline, uh, uh, Onassis. What's yeah, that? the wife. The wife. Yeah? Jackie O. Jackie O did it. Interesting. Is that incredible? I didn't know that. I mean, she's been like, you know, the icon of, of design and all that kind of thing. And she got together with a, a French artist. I forgot his name. Yeah, artiste. Yeah, the artiste. John blah 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 blah. Whatever. I did not know that. For all your French fans out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The other thing I learned was that that um, uh, Sam nine seventy one. That I didn't know this up until I think it was today or yesterday that mm -hmm. Sam is an acronym. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. Spe Special air mission. Special, Special air mission. Yeah. And. Uh, to that note, the special air mission, which is which makes this video and podcast and what we're doing unbelievably cool, is in 1981, <clears throat> uh, this uh, plane carried 52 Americans formerly held as a hostage in Iran, and then landed in Stewart Air Force, ba air Force Base uh, or airport in New York, um, and this time it was called, its call sign was Freedom One. That's correct. So, it, I mean, I, I was born in 1981, but I... I remember, you know, all these kind of things coming out later on in history class, et cetera. And there was a cover of the Time magazine, these guys walking down the steps from, from the plane. So to say that this was a piece of history yeah, uh, is yeah. an understatement. Very special. And then I, there's another one here. In 1991, exactly 10 years later, this plane arrived at Andrew, I'm reading this, uh, arrives at Andrew Air Force Base carrying 20 former POWs of the Persian Gulf War. So again, this was also the second time it was considered Freedom One. Yeah, they use a call sign, Freedom One. <clears throat> yeah, Freedom One call sign. That is incredible. I mean, right. to do a to detail a a plane like that. I mean, it's once in a lifetime yeah. opportunity. And then when Carter, yeah, we, we were talking about the Carter administration. He went there to negotiate. If for us that were around, remember that. And this was the airplane they used. Take them and bring them back. Oh, yeah. I'm reading here, too. 19, 1998, it was designated Air Force Two, which is... For the vice president. The vice president. Yeah. Air Force right. One is for the you know president, Air Force Two. And it was uh, Vice President Al Gore. So then I see in 1999 is when it got uh, decommissioned. Now, and there's a little bit of a debate <clears> if, it, if it's a truly an Air Force One. And what we mean by that was it did it ever carry the call sign Air Force One? Yeah, so talk about that. What... Uh, every, every person I talk to has something. Has different. a different story. I post it on Facebook. Everyone's like, "Oh, it's this." Well, before uh, you say that, didn't you just mention President Carter? But he wasn't a standing president. He was already I out see. of office. I see. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. All right. So what? So what's the other side? Well, I did some research on it. I think the museum's position is um, they don't think so. Their their position as an Air Force One. Um, but I did some research and I found in the John F. Kennedy Library archives photographs that are official photographs with a serial number and this type of thing. And the caption to this photograph is the, is the photograph the photograph is of this aircraft. And the caption is tail number 86971 landing, I think it was Delaware, 
and it, and it mentioned is bringing John F. Kennedy here for a vacation or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, and the people, but the people on Facebook came back and said, "Hey, you can change, you know, you can paint over that and put the name, you know, of pretty much anything you want on a plane. Why don't you look at the SN number, which I think is equivalent to a VIN number in a vehicle." I don't know where the heck the SN number is, but somebody said it's under it the... should be under the windshield wiper if I'm not That's mistaken. Right. Or, the, or, the door, <laughs> yeah, or the door jam. Yeah, look at That's the door right. jam. That's right, the door jam. And then I found also... Uh, the paint code. <laughs> That's right. And I found another website that has everything you ever want to know about 707s and we're afraid to ask. And it has portions of a logbook from the late 50s and early 60s. And in there, I found three times where President Eisenhower used it. 971. To fly somewhere. I forget the destination. So, you know, you tell me. So some people say yes, some people say no. Now the guy from the, uh, you know, Scott from the, the museum. Yes. You know, he, he says that none of that, uh, you know, it keeps going back and forth. But he said, what I do know for 100% is, you know, it was Air Force Two. And then it did all these amazing missions. And then it also flew like congressional leaders. And That's correct. I, for all intents and purposes, I thought of it as, and I didn't say this on camera, but it, it was the president's, like, uh, you know, uh, minivan. Right. You know what I mean? It's right. like, what do you need? Yeah, yeah, sure, you can come along. We're not flying on my plane. <laughs> like, now, one thing. Go over here. You borrowed for that. You know? One thing that isn't debatable, everybody seems to agree on, that it was Freedom One. That's oh, it. No, that was no. more recent and it's more documented. And and that, to me, is the most prestigious no call sign. Because, you know, yeah. we got politics and we got we didn't like that president and we'd like this one. All that aside, Freedom One is a very cool. And, yes, and speaking of that, we I think that's the most important part of this whole whole trip and, and the video hopefully is gonna reflect that. But when we went inside, all kidding aside, uh, you know, we, they opened up the door and they were nice enough to let us do that. And they nobody's did. allowed inside. Nobody's allowed inside. So we got we got to open this this literally a time capsule. I, I can't that's not even a pun, you know what I mean? It's it's a capsule. Yeah. Right. Uh, we opened it up and um, you know, Ryan, the, the cameraman and I kind of looked over to the cockpit. Right off the bat, the first thing you think of is there's five seats. And how, how much space was that, would you think? Like, like I don't even know, four feet or something? I mean, like, I could, I could barely fit in myself. Five seats were in there. Uh, it, literally. So, uh, I mean, that was amazing. And then all the buttons. With, You're uh, talking about the cockpit. The cockpit. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. And there's a you know, a guy for navigation or whatever, you know, tons of seats. And we, we talked to Scott and I said, why does every seat have this weird white, like fluffy cushion thing? And he looked over at me and he goes, in 19, whatever I said, 60, blah, blah, blah. They wore, uh, not what, what kind of uniforms did they wear? Not um, like polyester. Polyester, thank you. They wore polyester uniforms and they would sweat like crazy so that the seats would capture the sweat because they wouldn't be able to get up. And I was like, wow. What? I was like, this, oh, wow. this is real. Now, I'd like that funky interior, the wood grain interior, the wood, wood paneling. Grain. Yeah, it was definitely 70s. I thought the most interesting, I was talking to Ryan, I'm like, uh, look at all the cigarette. They say, hey, please don't flick your cigarette ash here. Flick it here. Yeah. Was like, it was in remarkably good shape, yeah, was it great. not? It's just, it's pristine. Yeah, now it's just you, old. You had the honor to play with the presidential pencil sharpener. I did. I did. There's a pencil sharpener on the you wall. You the old kind of the I'm crank? Just, yeah, I'm yeah. spinning. I'm going like, I, man, I don't even remember these in school. So so think, we open the door, and it's full of buttons, and it's full of history, and he's going, look at this pencil look sharpener. Pencil. <laughs> <laughs> I was struck by the communications on, uh, you know, from the front to back to the plane. They had the, the dial phones. Yeah, right? they still have the dial. In the, the middle dial of phone. the dial, it had the presidential seal, which was, like, uh, amazing. Yeah. And then they had, like, 
these these buttons, like just a just a button you can get at Radio Shack now or something, where it said like president or whatever, and like yeah. pilot, and uh, like just like push these big <laughs> massive snap. buttons, like hello, yeah. hello. Yeah. <laughs> and it was very intense. likely American made. <laughs> yeah, probably every Today square inch. See that? That's right. right. That's right. So you you walk back, and then there's like a, another communication little spot. You walk back further. I'm trying to give the visual of what it is because you really can't film in there. If, hopefully, we can we get the permission to do there that. There were some but, couches, and there's some really cool old style couches. Yeah, it was a galley first, and then there was old style couches, like as plain as you can get on both sides. And there were seatbelts on the couches, which I thought were <laughs> awesome. I was like, this is awesome. Uh, then you walk through. Then there's like another like I don't know VIP kind of area that mm-hmm. was that was there, and it had some like secure phones, and the, it was still a a dial phone, but you pick it up and it's like secure and had a button on it and it's yeah. like secure and it had to be pretty legit. I was like, wow, this is a, definitely out of the movie. You go back a little further, there's a, something else, uh, another little stateroom or something. And then when you go all the way to the back, that's where they kept the POWs. Mm. And he was telling me that and he's like, well, this is the room and I just saw it. And they took the seats out. So it was kind of like a, just a little, like a little runway kind of thing. You know what I mean? There wasn't, well, it's got hold down, lockdown rails in it. So they yeah. probably was a, Universal use area of the of the, yeah. Of the plane. It still had like the thing where you can put your luggage up top, but didn't close. You know, like old school, it would just like slide around. But I just remember he walked in here and he kind of he was on the outside of the door and he said, and he just pointed and I was like, okay, big empty space, and it didn't even occur to me to think about. It. And he's like, this was the first like sovereign land, you know, after four hundred yeah. days yeah. of being in captured or whatever or, or prisoned. Yeah. That they come in here now, like I, I guess when you're on, you know, Air Force One, Freedom One, Air Force Two, whatever you want to call it, you're on United States property, kind of like a, um, an embassy kind of thing. Yeah. So after all that time, they're like, "Wow, we're finally we're free." Finally. Can you imagine the emotion? Like the the walls could have collapsed in terms of, you know what I'm yeah. saying? It's like an, yeah, yeah. insane. So it kind of all came full full circle for me there because I'm like. I don't know. It was out of like a movie. I'm sitting there. I'm smelling the smells from, you know, that like, it was out of like a movie that, and then we're looking out the window and like all of our friends are out there detailing. It was just like, what is going on? It I was can't great. Be... It was, yeah. it was a, I'm very proud to be here. Yeah. Not, not so much work on this aircraft. The team that came together for this is amazing. And at, there was a certain point where it's almost not about this aircraft anymore. You know, it's just all us coming together as one group and taking care of this aircraft. Yeah. And that's almost getting bigger than doing the actual aircraft itself. And when you mix the two together, it's just it's just amazing being here. Yeah, you got some really good detailers, but I gotta say, I'm I'm in awe at how how persistent they are. At 82 degrees, like you're standing on the sun, right? And they were sitting in that same spot. It was it Nico and the other gentleman there? Brother Chris, Chris Dan Kowski, yeah, I, literally, literally cooking on the cooking, side. I mean, they, on they, one they, side they put the thing over their head with water, yes. and I'm like, "What are you?" And and, and we go, "Are you ready?" Because we like to rotate everybody around because we don't want to stick anybody in one, you know, one spot. Mm-hmm. And they they were they claim that spot. This is our spot, and we're gonna get it for. I want to say bitching. Can I say bitching? You can say bitching. Okay. <laughs> we want to get a bitching, and they own they own that portion of the aircraft, and they did a fabulous job on it. Not, I'm not saying not everybody. I mean, every single person on that team did a fabulous job on where they were at. Mm-hmm. But I, these guys were in the sun cooking, and they still did a fabulous job where they were at. Yeah, and, and they the, own that spot. And then the two guys who had the the big cojones to get up on top on and just stay there top. forever all day long, all day long, and you don't have much. It's not flat at all. You have maybe six inches where it is kind of flat, 
then it curves off down one way. It's a you're standing on a basketball. You're that's really long. It's <laughs> like it's, and you have your head down working. You're polishing and you're cleaning and you're scrubbing and you're putting wax. And it looks high from the ground, but when you're up there, and it looking down, feels four times yeah, higher than all that. the ants that are looking up with buffers in their hands. And then you have like this. This <laughs> is <laughs> true. And you then know. you have this thing that's pulling on the back of your collar, oh, your, basically, yeah, your because your harness. Yeah. And you're kind of dragging it around. It's very uncomfortable. And then you got to step over antennas that are up there mm-hmm. and fins. That and are also white, by the way. They're so white. I, I couldn't see them half the time. There's lights up there. That your your own extension cord, your own equipment. So you got to go nice and easy and do you know deliberate moves. And they stood up there all day, all yes. day long. I made that top of that airplane look beautiful. Oh, and I wanted to ask you tell tell them a little bit about and and they'll see. You guys got to check this out in the video. This little contraption that you made for a polisher. Well, I'm or not you or whoever your buddy. Well, I was looking for something. I knew we were gonna do miles and miles of wing and miles and miles of fuselage. So I didn't, I've done this stuff before in the past on, on airplanes and you're on your hands and knees, you know, just going along. So imagine, imagine you had to scrub this, you know, an airplane isn't this big, but a gym floor, you know, or something or a long hallway in a hospital. Would you want to get on your hands and knees with a, with a machine and clean it as you go along? So I said, there has to be a better way. So I was looking for something where you stand up and, and polish much like they do a hospital floor or gym floor, but those machines are just so big and you can't get pads to put under it. To work on paint like we need. Mm-hmm. So I'm doing research, and this one guy named, his name is Bill. He lives near me. You know, you could live anywhere in the world, happens to live near me. And he made a pole to handle. It's, uh, it's, it, it's retractable, so you can adjust the side. I mean, to adjust the length. And he made it where we, he put a rotary buffer on the end of it. Now, what he's doing with that, he puts a, a, bris, a round bristle brush that screws onto the rotary. And he spot treats stains in carpet. Mm-hmm. And he's selling it to the carpet cleaning industry. It kind of looks like if you were to do the Stanley Steamer thing, you know, with the it, V, you just take that V part off on the bottom. Right. Well, part then... of it is is something like that. It, it does is. come from the carpet shampooing industry. Mm-hmm. And so he just put an aluminum pole in there with a bracket on the end to hold the buffer. So I'm thinking, perfect. If I got a stick or a wand or a handle that holds a buffer, then everything that goes to the buffer, all the accessories we can possibly want, pads and backing plates and bonnets and whatever we want, is so now you can stand up full height, full height, turn, hold this button, or it, turn the pl- button. Yeah, on. it plugs in, it's wired inside the thing, and then the wire comes out and, and you plug and in. You're polishing, so, so you, you can do that away. down as if you're doing a wing or the top of a thing or, or the top of a plane, or you can do an RV or something. Now, now I don't want to use it with a rotary buffer, but I put we I put a dual action polisher on. That'd be really tough with a rotary. Yeah, I mean, it's take off sideways. Be, yeah, you know, so so I put a so we need we need to tweak it. It's not there yet. Um, Scott, the museum manager. He wants he wants some. He listen. He says, "Let me know when they're ready, and let me know what kind of price are." He already wants them. He already ordered some, kind of in, informally, but he did. Yeah, I'm excited to show people all that on the it video. I cool. think people are gonna be like, "What the heck is you that?" Know, you know, people come out with cool stuff all the time, and mm-hmm. some usually the coolest thing is just the simplest thing. And I've been doing this for 25 years, and go, "Why didn't I think of that?" or whatever. Finally, I got something cool. <laughs> Absolutely. Know? So let me ask um, Jason this: We did some uh, leading edge polishing and, and compounding etc mm. and the entire plane mostly we used a da polisher right on um, the front of the these engines you know the the leading edge whatever we want to call it um you did something else and we got that on camera as well explain the difference yeah there. these were uncoated you know raw aluminum pieces um around you know the engine parts uh, we were not talking about the leading edge of the wing but yeah, yeah. yeah around the engine parts so, I mean, we just adjusted the process for that surface and 
some rotary was used, you know, as a as a first raw cut, you know, first step raw cutting step to remove a lot, a lot of scratches, a lot of oxidation. Um, so it wasn't ch- was it chalky? Like I'm trying to explain the difference between the top of the plane, which is white, which is super chalky, and we use something to kind of pull it off, like Kevin was saying. This was it as chalky or not? Like how do you describe? It was condition? dull. It looked like dull metal. And that's you why know? you would use the rotary in this case. Well, in, in this case, um, you know, you want a little bit more surface temperature, which the rotary can give you. Mm-hmm. Um, you want a little more aggressiveness because we're talking about a surface that's harder than than the paint. Oh, for and, sure. Yeah. So you're stepping up your aggressiveness a bit. Yeah. When 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 you guys were polishing the paint the color of the paint would come off as white, what come off white, blue would come off blue. This mm. case, when you polish, it comes out black. Black, very black, yeah. And, and that's all the residue, that's all the dead skin or the dead uh, metal that's yeah. coming off that particular piece, correct? Yeah. So a question I have for Kevin, and we wanted to talk a little bit about this. So tell me the difference between the, uh, you know, like a wool cutting pad versus a foam pad versus a microfiber cutting pad or, Kind of, kind of walk the listener through uh, the different selection of pads in well, general. Well, in terms of using it on this yeah, project, yeah, maybe make it you know make because, it a little bit wider if you can. But well, initially for this project, we would, when we were polishing the paint or the metal in this case, the aluminum, we might opt for a wool pad and a rotary because it cuts tremendously quick. Why? Uh, because it concentrates the pol- well. There's there's polishing energies. You know, the machine can create. And and part of that's determined on how it moves, how efficiently it moves in one direction or another, and uh, the speed that it causes the pad to move as well, and the diameter of the pad. So in the case of a rotary um, polisher or pad, the larger the diameter per given RPM, the more speed or velocity you're going to get at the edge. Mm-hmm. So if you turn it one revolution and it's only a one-inch diameter pad, there's not a lot of speed along the edge. You go to a one-foot diameter pad, a lot more speed, mm-hmm, and, the, mm-hmm. and that translates to polishing energy, okay, or force. And then the, the pad itself, like what would you say the difference between a wool pad versus, let's say, a, a McGuire's microfiber cutting pad, like the actual fiber? What's the Well, difference? in any particular fiber, in the case of microfiber versus wool, in general, the wool strands are much thicker, so they're more uh, rigid. So they're like slapping around. They're, they're a much uh, stronger uh, fiber that's slapping around as you're, you're polishing. Well, yeah, I mean, the best way to, to think about it, if you're not into polishing uh, and to relate it in your brain, might be saying, hey, you know how a weed whacker works, right? Mm. You, you've got this string moving around at a high velocity, and it essentially chops through anything that gets in its way, or at least it does some damage to it before it bounces off. Sure. So we get this, a similar dynamic with, that's what we're hoping for in general with the wool pad, obviously not as brutal or aggressive, but you do hundreds or thousands of those strings ro- rotating around and you get some really good leveling action or cutting through peaks, peaks, uh, you know, um, scratches. That, okay. Mm-hmm. No, I get what you're saying. Cause then I'm also thinking a rotary is, is spinning with, you know, at the same time, it's spinning in one direction versus a microfiber, let's say, which isn't built for a rotary. Right. So it's oscillating. You're, so you're it's exactly like, right. Yeah. If you try to use a similar wool pad on something that doesn't rotate rapidly and keep the strings horizontal to the surface and mm-hmm. dragging it it's not going to do much it's not going to do much cutting matter of fact even on a, the same exact pad if you were able to measure the cutting potential or force at the edge 
it's a lot stronger or more rapid than it is in the middle, mainly because of the speed. And Same exact material, but it's rotating at a higher velocity the farther out you go. And that's with a rotary, but a DA is actually the opposite, no? The, the inside, like where is the, the heaviest cut on a DA? It's Yeah, you'll find it towards the middle. Towards the middle, yeah. as opposed to a rotary where it's obviously on the outside, yeah. which is interesting. Well, the, but another contrasting comparison between the two is DA action... You can get a lot of cut anywhere on the pad, actually. Whereas with a rotary, there is, you know, a very concentrated force around the outside edge. Hmm. Now, tell me a little bit about the, I mean, we talked about this before, but it seems like we used, how many did we get? Well, actually, we're talking to you, 80 pads, 100 pads, 1,000. It seems like we had 1,000 red pads on this <laughs> on this plane. I mean, just yeah, boxes we and did. boxes. And, and the thing, another thing about the wool it, it's very fast cutting for a while. Mm -hmm. So once it starts to load up with debris. It seems like it, get, it turns into like a dreadlock or something. Sure, it locks. You've got all of these strings rolling, you know, rotating around, and they're essentially right next to each other. And as you build up debris, contamination, abrasives get stuck into the pad from the compounds, they start to latch or stick together. And once that happens, your cutting power diminishes because now – um, oh, the surface area decreases, decreases even though it's one it big piece? It technically does. It yeah, becomes more stiffer, flatter, like a disc. Things clump together. Yeah. Things yeah, clump. Yeah, it's more like a disc. Imagine a weed whacker that was just a disc. It, mm -hmm. it would only cut at the very outer edge, but everything from outside in, there's not much cutting action. That's a good visual. I right? Like that. Yeah. Where the microfiber, it's a totally different way to polish. It's not just relying upon tremendous force or concentration of the polishing force. We've got surface area. Instead, we got lots of tiny strands that can attach thousands of abrasives to it, and then they wiggle around rapidly. We mm. actually run those machines a lot higher in terms of motor speeds, mm. where we might run a thousand RPM to two thousand RPM on a rotary, and two thousand RPM on a rotary with a large diameter pad is it, it'll knock an antenna right off of a car mm -hmm. and keep going. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but in the case of the random orbitals we were using today, they range from a top speed of 4,200 RPM up to 6,800 for yours, Jason, the, the, the MT. Well, the new MT300 is going up to 7,500. 7,500 orbits per minute. That so is cooking. If you tried that with a rotary, it would be oh very, God. very dangerous. <laughs> I wouldn't yeah. recommend it. But with an orbital, it's a different motion. It's a, a different motion in distance. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a totally different action. And we rely upon, like you asked about microfiber, lots of very fine strings thousands upon thousands of them that we can latch abrasives onto and it, that can actually scrub even without abrasives attached to them right jason yeah so it's just a numbers game i feel like we were talking i forget who was there it was, it was ryan and i we were talking to the guy who was the curator of the museum back in he's an older gentleman now i think he's retired or whatever but he was there and he's watching us do the work and he said you know i polished the other uh, air force one air force two whatever plane the eisenhower one that one was like kind of chromey looking he said it took him 500 hours to do, him and another guy. And they, oh, used, wow. you, they used like the predecessor or I guess what, he's, what he considered a rotary. I think we were talking the same thing but different language. You know what I mean? So uh, can, if you think about it, we're doing this plane now, and we're not using a rotary except on those one little spots on the, on mm -hmm. the front of the, the engine. Yeah. You're doing okay. an entire plane with a dual-action polisher. And not only that, it's we're like, not using microfiber or wool. We're using what would, some would consider very mundane in terms of cutting – force or a transferring machine mm -hmm. motion we're using foam pads That's, yeah that was the point that i wanted to get across with this yeah. podcast it's kind of like a an eye-opening thing for me to 
you just you would instantly hate this thing is chalky. I mean, well, Joe what, was talking about it. We got to go to rotary and a, and a wool pad. Okay, so we already talked about the the benefit of string type pads, mm -hmm. the wool, the twisted wool, which is just a combination of all the small strands that they twist together and make a bigger string, like shag carpeting. Right. Good example, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. You have some technical terms for what that is, but um, the problem is when it does accumulate debris, especially on the aluminum. We have aluminum debris locking into those strings, and if you don't clean that, not only does it not cut as well, it scours tremendously bad. It's a piece of metal. Yeah, it's a tiny little piece of metal. That exactly, going, yeah. and and in some of the polishing that we're seeing, they weren't using a rotary type machine. They were using a machine that did rotate the pad, but more like a bench grinder would. Mm -hmm. So imagine a bench grinder how it rotates, you know, um, not horizontal to the surface, but you use the edge of it mm -hmm. and drag down because you get all that polishing energy on what a one square you know one square inch of contact one inch diameter yeah exactly mm -hmm. when those lock on those start to cut in you can oh, actually yeah, be see like, you see like a little divot you yeah. can not just divots but you see all these real short scratches that are really deep from that aluminum just dragging on there and heating up and melting in and tearing yeah. off and and that's some of the stuff that we're dealing with it's just it's not to, to say that it's a bad way to do things. It's not. You just have to be very diligent in your cleaning. And, and there were some areas where that didn't happen because that happens rapidly. The buildup is tremendously fast. Mm -hmm. So so we switched to foam. We're trying to fight the, the accumulation of debris, the buildup that cuts our, pa you know, the, our cutting power or, or that drops the cutting power that causes scouring. So we would rather buff a little bit longer or maybe twice as long and grind things down slowly rather than go out a direct attack and overheat it and gouge and things like that. And what's funny is I, I think about to the progression of these machines and the pads, and obviously we're coming, let's, let's go as far back as just where the rotary came out, and that changed the game. It was amazing. And it seemed like pads seemed to get, at least in my mind, but you know, Jason, you can hop in here, they seemed to get thicker and thicker with the rotary. Then as the rotary became more like complicated and the DAs came out, the pads seemed to be getting smaller and smaller and smaller right, right. and more effective. So... You know, I think when I first started, uh, a regular foam pad was, I don't know, an inch or whatever, you know, like, you know, the standard size foam pad, they seem to be getting super thin, but more effective. Um, and it, I think it really centers around this this uh, distribution or getting rid of all the excess residue like you're talking about, and it cuts better. Well, I think that initially when you would go, if, if I was thinking back before I was, I wasn't even around when they were already using foam pads, but you would think that, hey, if you're going to try to transition a guy from a double-sided wool pad, which is pretty thick, mm. and it's got good cushioning, you're probably going to try to mimic that feel or that size with the foam. Mm -hmm. So I would think that that's part of it, and I would also think that you do want a certain amount of cushioning to go over contours and things. So there's enough foam there that your backing plate doesn't damage the paint. Mm -hmm. Yep. And now McGuire's just come out with this thinner version of it. Yeah, basically it's taking that learning from, you know, uh, this transition from rotary to DA, and we we learned a lot from the launch of the DA microfiber correction system, mm -hmm. and part of that learning uh, was about the microfiber filaments itself, but the other was the actual design and the thickness and dimension of that disc and how it just generates all kinds of pad spin on a DA. So we transferred that learning to foam, and we're getting lots of pad spin on on DAs. And it it's purely, I mean, a little bit is tweaking the foam formulas themselves, but uh, a lot of it is just thickness. You know, going to 
that thinner foam, the the energy that the tool is generating can then transfer more efficiently to the surface. The way that I think about it, and it may, it's maybe a silly one, but if if I were to sit here and and punch you in the face, and I put a pillow in front of it, uh-huh. and it's a very thin pillow, are you going to feel it? Yeah, you probably feel a little bit more. But I put a really thick pillow. You're probably not going to feel it, and that's what I feel like is the power transfer. Yeah. I, that's how I try to tell people, like, hey, the thinner you get, that all that energy that's coming from the tool is going to go right to that. Path. Yeah. yeah, that's sort of what. You are know, you are you going to do that? You yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm debating it right now. Oh. It's getting that late. <laughs> yeah, Larry, imagine if you were in the older days when you first started out detailing, you were hand waxing a car, and instead of a thin foam pad or even a, a terry cloth towel, you use something to suck the, the height of a pillow, and you still use the same. You know, hand motion. Oh, yeah. Would that transfer through, or would the pillow absorb all of your motion? It would negate it. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of that same dynamic. These these random orbital polishers, you know, they have a certain amount of motion, and if yeah. the pad is too thick or soft or pliable, it absorbs a lot of that right in the foam. It just twists and wiggles, and just heats it away. Mm-hmm. So you get a net gain of nothing at at, at the surface. At the yeah. surface. So what yeah. do you do when the pad doesn't rotate, and move around? You bump the speed up. And all it does is heat up the pad more and, and cause that, them to that's fail. That's the interesting thing that I was learning from you guys at NXT. And I was like, you know what? I didn't even realize that is when that occurs, the heat is not actually going from the pad to the paint. It's going from the machine to the pad. Is that, did I get that yeah. right? Yeah. Where it's wiggling. And then, so you, like when you were to, yeah. if you were to tear off, let's say a microfiber cutting pad or what you, something, it, and it's, it heats yeah. up and sometimes... You know, whatever. There's you know, some yeah, sort of issue because of you know, heat. You, any you could take a piece of aluminum can and start wiggling it back and forth, and eventually just break it. it just it heats up and it it deforms and mm. it it weakens the structure. So same kind of thing. It's pretty interesting. So I guess the the moral of the story is we're rounding third here, and I know you guys are late or, or tired, and we got to get up and do this again. But um, it was interesting that we're using other uh, things than standard. Let's call it a rotary. The first thing you would think of is this, this plane is horrible in terms of chalkiness we're, we're going to go right to the well and i want to say one quick point before you close here because um you know horrible oxidation lots of chalkiness so uh, some users might be thinking or listeners might be thinking well why didn't they use a microfiber disc you know they were doing an all da process how mm. come they had lots of oxidation how come they didn't use a microfiber disc well one of the main reasons is because microfiber just it's designed to grab and hold so if you're pulling off this oxidized chalky residue off the paint surface, it's gonna, you know, the microfiber is gonna do what it's take, supposed to it's do. It's gonna take it and hang on to it. So on a job like this particular one, we would get like two passes into a a section and, and have to have completely loaded microfiber discs. And we had designated guys who were sitting at a bucket, and that's all they were doing pretty much all day was cleaning pads. Yeah. And if imagine doing that with a microfiber. I, they would have never, it would have been... Oh, no, we would have needed hundreds of discs, and we would, you know... And have compressed air yeah. right. on location. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. And, and you know what's interesting? When we were polishing the aluminum, it's a dirty job. Anybody that's done oh that doesn't gosh. like it. You know, they like the result, but you hate everything else. And we don't stop and clean those pads. Very rarely I'll take it uh, a microfiber and run across it, but it's such a mess. It's just yeah. spewing everywhere. But I was using the Meguiar's DA foam disc, the, Burg- the burgundy or maroon, the, yep. cutting, the cutting disc, mm-hmm. and using it, and using it nonstop. I never stopped for about 15 minutes just running it, running it, running it. And it was 
still usable. Yeah. Get, at that very worst, it gets a little floppy. It gets floppy because I mean, everything, almost like every pad out there heats up. When it heats up you know, <laughs> most of the newer, more rigid foam pads, if, you, if you've noticed them when they're cold, they're very rigid, dense. They react slowly. You put them on the polisher, you start polishing, and they become like gummy bears. They're just mm. gushy. Mm. But what was interesting was when I was done polishing, there was this black pudding Yes, I, I got on that the backing on my side. plate. Did you see that? I saw that. that was so I think I didn't have to buy Jason a new backing plate, but it just was able to go right through the foam along the edges and work its way up right on the edge of the backing plate, and it never quit cutting. Yeah. What I'm getting at is the technology of foam discs has, has just evolved rapidly. Yeah. And this is at the cutting edge. This thing should have you know lit on fire and just you know ripped apart, and it just kept going. You know, we, we didn't say it officially, but what you're talking about is we are correcting aluminum that is oxidized and yeah. and had been cut with a rotary some point in its life mm-hmm. we are correcting aluminum with a foam pad yeah that's and, bananas and it's that not even bananas. it's not even a trade-off because we've tried it with wool too right and we can get the same net result i kind of just had an epiphany I know, I know you guys were just talking about this but okay so it i'm thinking back to your your roots Oh, I'm getting this now so the pad is just it's literally just flowing kind of through the pad and the residue is is Kind of going away, as opposed to where uh, a ro- a, um, a wool pad is or microfiber is kind of just soaking that up, and it's getting ha- heavier and heavier. It's loading up. Not only that, but think about this. Crazy. Imagine taking a pad of two or three years ago and using the type of metal polish we are, which is greasy and oily. It's made to do that, so it doesn't dust away and it slips around. And you can slip and slide it and use it a long time. What would have happened to the Velcro in about ten minutes on a typical pad? Yeah. The yeah. Velcro would have stayed on the backing plate, and the foam would have went left or right or right out right at your face. The... This stuff did not even saturate the Velcro. The Velcro was completely left intact. There was not any moisture breakthrough from the foam mm-hmm. to the Velcro, which is why it can only go in so far. It's very thin foam. It hit the back, you know, your protective yeah. barrier, I and just, shot out the side. I just realized that when you were saying that. Yeah. It's incredible. That's, that is, That's that how is durable these new discs are. They, they did their homework. Jason did his homework. <laughs> I, I was just waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for Joe to hop in here and just crush him down or something. If I were a little less tired, I would have. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's there's jokes now. There's oh, a man, tired I'm, boy. I'm, I'm gonna start snoring. That's what you... yeah. it, it, that, his quietness before he he was actually asleep. I had to bump him under the there's table. There's only two times ever I get quiet, and that's when I'm hungry or tired. <laughs> <laughs> like there's nothing funny. Like why aren't you just saying any funny? I'm hungry. There's nothing to be funny about right now. All right, we're at we're at our uh, we're actually almost exactly at one hour. I think. Oh wow, it's perfect timing. Was, that time flies when you're having fun. No, yeah. pun, no pun intended. We're doing an airplane. Hey, uh, we got to do the wing tomorrow, and there's this certain area where we we're trying to we have to figure out how we're gonna get to it. And one of the guys goes, "We'll just wing it." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I gotta give him that one. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, "We'll just wing it." There you go. <laughs> Luckily, everybody is super nice uh, on this, and it's it's been a, a, a big fun uh, event here. Well, one thing can I mention real sure. quick? Sure. All the museum personnel coming by are just grinning ear to ear like you cannot believe. These you are know? like their little babies, the, man. Well, these are the they're guys babies. that said it, it can't be done. Like, you know, thank you, but we're going to, at some point in time, repaint it. And they're just coming and just grinning, just grinning, you know, just having a great time. I think when people who listen to the podcast watch a video or look at the pictures on Facebook from all the guys, I mean, the the 50, it's night and day. Yeah. I mean, you remember standing in front of the plane and looking up and it's kind of iconic. You're like, oh, it's a cool plane, whatever. But clearly it looks really old. Now that it, the nose has been restored. I mean, 
It and does this, looks repainted. It, it looks yeah, like it a brand yeah, new. It doesn't doesn't look airplane. a lot nicer. It looks amazing. Yes. It looks very yeah. nice. I wanted to mention again what you said about the museum personnel. I just feel like I'm at my friend's shop. They oh, just yeah. uh, really cool carte blanche, there. whatever tools, you know, it, washers for your machine, whatever you need. You, 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 know, know, I, you know, they are catering to it. They're catering to it. It's but, really nice. They, they got a guy that sits out there. Everybody goes home. One guy stays behind. And when you're done, you're done. I'll close can up. Can you imagine the knowledge in some of these? These guys are working on building Harrier jets and fighter yeah. jets. And they're just... It's like they're building models like we did when we were kids, yes. and it's nothing to them, nothing. and it's just incredible. So behind where we are when we're detailing it, there's a, a there's a what is it? Hanger? Restoration shop. A restoration shop. Yeah. And it's it's like a, a kid in a candy store. Yeah. I mean, they're literally building part by part like these. Uh, what was that? What was the pink jet? It was like a desert oh, I storm think it's jet. called a Jaguar. It's not it's an a American. Jaguar, it's yeah. a Jaguar. Okay. And he said that yeah. the guy that was in charge of repainting those, he had gathered in the 40-mile radius all the paint that he could. In brown and in, in, real, tan, in real life, though, right? In, in red. In, in the he, real, this, this is yeah. This was this a desert, was, desert storm. Desert during... storm. He had to paint those to a sand color, like right now. So he went to every hardware store, paint store, anywhere he could gather these three tones, and they just mixed them in fifty-five gallon drums in latex. Some of those were done in latex, wow. and he said they actually Literally worked remarkably well because <laughs> it was such a rush to get these things going. Right. I mean, so you're looking at the most like like salmon. Kind of, Badass, like yeah. like amazing, you know, plane, and it's oh, in no. the salmon. Not yeah, the, like a pinkish salmon. Not the pink bomber. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah they carry missiles and everything. Yeah, and it's yeah. pink. You know? who, who were you telling me that the guy said that when you get so low, or is that you? When you get so low to the ground, yeah, it's actually with this particular color. When you get low on deck, uh, you can't you see can't the aircraft. Matches. Yeah. Yeah, because sand that it just blends with the, the background. Distance, it looks kind of yeah. pinkish or something. It was pinkish. It was it was yeah. a custom mix of what what, what do we have available? Right. And what's interesting, I said, hey, hey, why is that one so shiny? Hmm. And and oh, so this is latex. Are, yeah. No, but they, they're no, restoring they, it. So they've repainted it properly. This isn't latex. Yeah. The one that and you said, saw well, today, that's not know, latex. Normally, it would be satin, but out here in the desert, they're going to be parked, and they last maybe four years with. With the clear coat or with with the the, the right. glossy paint, so we can get twenty twenty five years. Yeah. yeah. And the cockpit, when we first walked in, I thought it was is faded. I don't think it's faded. I think they put something in there because every glass, you know, the yeah, the, it's painted from the inside. I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I would you imagine. think so. Well, yeah. because yeah. the one that the pink protect one, the cockpit, so the, it was too uniform. Like it, nothing degrades yeah. in a perfect you know right. line or yeah, whatever. Yeah, there's no open windows anywhere in the in any aircraft. I mean, not open, but see through. Mm-hmm. All of them been. Um, painted on the inside. Well, you know, we they, can ask they said the sure. reason they do they did that glossy paint instead of a matte finish. Well, you can't have pink unless you got gloss. Yeah, so you gotta it's go got to be shiny hand pink. Hand. <laughs> go, go all the way, man. Go all the way. <laughs> but yeah. you know they have limited resources at this museum, and they're they're literally taking one aircraft at a time to to repaint and recondition, and they can take a paint job. And uh, if it's a satin finish, they said it would last four or five years in this desert environment mm-hmm. you know just basically put it out on the dirt and bake in the sun that paint job will last four or five years but if they put this particular gloss paint on there they can get 20 years out of it you know yeah and now i'm thinking well like a matte paint on a car when the light travels into that it's like uh like a crevice right and the light and it absorbs tra- it absorbs, absorbs into, it bounces around yeah, yeah okay that, that that sounds yeah. logical yeah it's pretty wild these guys are a wealth of knowledge and they they're kind of like older school guys oh. who are like retired and they're building like engines or taking them apart and they're six foot tall six foot wide R- like... right next to us there's a radial engine and a radial engine a big that, round that's what i'm talking thing. about that that guy right was doing that yeah and that has to go to some kind of bomber or something because it's huge 
If, if you would turn it up and set it up on its end, it's probably six feet tall. If maybe. you can visualize this, Five the guy who was working out was this little guy. He had glasses on. He had like a doctor's, you know, the white coat. Yeah. And he's sitting there with like this massive engine. And he's got this little tiny tool. And he's like, yeah, a piece of tweet. He got tweezers. He's like, tweezers. I'm like, what is going on? He's got tweezers and a paper clip. And he's rebuilding his engine from seventy years old. He's pushing his glasses up. I mean, it was like I was out of a movie. And he's wearing a like a like a shop coat. That's what I meant. Like a Doctor's go. Yeah, Doctor's go. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody that likes anything mechanical just has to just be in awe oh, of the. And they got part of it taken apart, and you can see the valves, and it's mm -hmm. just, it's just amazing. Yeah. So if you're in Tucson, this is definitely a, a stop. You can skip the gem show. Do you realize that Tucson is a gem place? A gem. I, I, you know what I'm talking about? No. It's on the radio. Oh, it's, gems the and biggest, stones. The gems and, and stuff. Stone. It's the oh. biggest destination for gems. No, no another cool thing. So these guys can visualize where we're at. We're in the we're like in a back lot to the museum where the public is not allowed. Mm -hmm. And around the Air Force One, there's like airplane carcasses is laying out. All kinds of cool every stuff. kind you could think right of. Right behind us. What's right behind us? You guys know that big black thing? Oh, was it some yeah, bomber it's a B one bomber. B fifty two bomber. It's a B fifty two. B fifty two bomber. Yes, it, it's intimidating. It, it's just it's just big and it, mean, and it's staring rat. It's mad dogging us as we're doing this Air Force One, and it's <laughs> being repainted. It's being repainted. Gloss black. And Gloss then, black. Yes. And then visualize this. So you got that. Then you have uh, Freedom One. And then while we're polishing and compounding and cleaning whatever, you look oh. in the back and you got the warthogs and you got all these all things day, everything. they're flying everything. warthogs and everything. everything because you know I, if you if you're near an air force base and planes are coming in and out they're air force planes and if you're near a marine base things are coming out and they're marine planes you know their type their model and this here this place here davis mothin i think it's called there's everything coming in and out i mean everything coming in and out like that's what that Scott normally wouldn't associate or be on the same base. They said it's like a training thing. So you get okay. you get Australia guys, you get uh, England guys, you it's get crazy. like all these you know people that we're allies with or whatever, and they come in here and they test and they train for whatever. But there's I mean, one time if people who are listening know an F-16 Falcon came out and went almost straight up. It was more, it was like a 15 degree angle, and you just I just oh it was just it was just amazing it was just making all kind of racket it was just going i mean he just disappeared almost straight up they said 40 miles away from the air the base that we were at is a like a bombing test site oh i don't even God. know that must be amazing to see it must, it must be one big hole in the ground or something <laughs> right. somebody's dropping a bomb for the last 10 years that's so, right that's where they go and test. Uh, i, I want to meet the guy who has to put up the the old go cans you know set them up, up there. <laughs> all right you guys can go and bomb these things now yeah <laughs> All right, on that note, let's let's get out of here. Uh, as always, I want to thank uh, Joe Fernandez, Kevin Brown, and Jason Rose for uh, hopping out with me and doing this. You guys have any plugs, or are we just too tired? Uh, you um, know what we should plug? The we museum. Sh we should plug the museum, the museum and call it a day. Yeah. They, they rely on people coming in there and yeah. Yeah. paying their entry fee and... Eating lunch there, which is very good. Oh, very I, I good. thought the I thought the the chicken was incredible actually today. Yeah, I, that's a, yeah, yeah they do a chicken. great job. Everybody's very nice and appreciative there. It's just a fantastic you know, this place thing is the first to class, see. First class place. It's really I mean, nice. I, you can bring. I saw a lot of young kids and I saw a lot of you know older people. Yeah, I mean, it's like it, it's There's for everybody. Something for the whole family, yeah. really. Yeah, and, and a, a, most of the museum is outdoors in a field. But there's a lot of it are in hangars, air-conditioned hangars, mm -hmm. you know? So if you want to come visit, maybe not in August. And they have little <laughs> plaques on everything. <laughs> or come early. I, lo I love going there and looking at it and going like, wow, that's impressive. And reading the history. This was in World War II, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, there's a whole... That's right. You know, and the, the volunteer docents are a wealth of information. And mm -hmm. they said that it's, it's, it's a world-renowned, very well-respected 
museum it's one of the best but locally it's not really known as that because everybody's right around it. it's like yeah. oh yeah there's something right. out there was that the airport you know but mm-hmm. in around the world for aficionados of aircraft this is the mecca yeah yeah well, sure. when, so diverse that's when we when we when we got in i was just honored i was just and yeah. you know what they're catering to us they're catering to us i mean whatever you need they, they assign people to us to take care of us they're just treating us like yeah. guests, and it's just really, it's amazing. They're being really, really have cool. taken good care of us. So if you're in Tucson, Arizona, go check them out. Pima, P-I-M-A, Air and Space, space Museum. Museum. That's yeah. they have uh they do have a, a building dedicated to the space, NASA, and all that type of mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So that, that's going to be our plug for the day because uh, these, yep. these guys are uh, really, really awesome. Again, thanks for listening. If you have any questions, of course, shoot me an email at Larry at AmmoNYC.com. Lots coming up. We have uh, a video uh, on this particular um, detail and shoot, and it's it's beyond anything I think uh, that uh, I th- I've personally ever shot because there's a lot there's a lot of history and, and and honor in doing this as opposed to you know a very cool car which is awesome and, and, and fun. This is I don't know I don't know how to describe it. And the more we it, think about it, it's weird. I was thinking about it in the shower. And I'm like, how do I even talk? How do I do a closer? I remember we were talking about closer. How do yeah. I close? Like, what do you say to something like? Hey, we're a bunch of guys who are having fun and we love this and we're detailing a plane, but these guys are POWs. So like, how do you? I, and yeah, I just I like, I love it. that we've got young guys that weren't even born helping mm-hmm. them. They'll, they'll know about that history. So it'll, it, it keeps it more real. You know, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't something that happened forever ago. It mm-hmm. was something you could see. This was the plane. You can go on the internet and yeah. watch and read. So the, it the keeps the history alive. It really keeps history alive. It's been it's been fun. So again, thanks for listening and uh we'll be back soon. Thanks guys. Bye.